Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is the Charlize Theron Atomic Blonde, really. And uh, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, we've seen it. And uh, we're ready to discuss it at length now. Lloyd, uh, strong female roles are apparently hard to find. You know, actresses complain about them all the time. And Charlize Theron keeps finding them. You know, Furiosa in Mad Max, she produced this film, so she's obviously connected to the material. What do you think of Charlize Theron as an actress, and what do you think of Atomic Blonde? Uh, she also kicked it off with Eon Flux, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think she did, yeah. I, I can barely remember that movie. I think I get that movie confused with Ultraviolet. Oh, I think they um, came. Mila Djokovic yeah, that's right. Djokovic. I think they, yeah, I think they came around at the same time, and the, those two movies have just molded into one for me. <laughs> See, I watched uh, Aeon Flux, the cartoon, so then I didn't really connect to the Charlize Theron movie because it's obviously a whole different medium. Yeah, and I just it didn't translate for me, so I never really quite picked up on it. But um, Atomic Blonde, I'd never read this graphic novel, so I had no association with it, and I was going in pretty fresh. Yeah, well, I have to say I love the style of of Atomic Blonde towards the end of the Berlin Wall era and the Russian and British and American operatives are, like, battling for control of the underworld. And the music um, and that awesome colour scheme of neon lights, that spray paint they used for the titles, and, of course, that fantastic title itself, Atomic Blonde. I was just like, wow, when I saw the trailer. Um, and I, I, again, I really love the music to this film. I've been listening to the soundtrack uh, pretty much nonstop for the last couple of weeks. And it's interesting, for the last few months, Dave, we've been hit with um, films that have very particular soundtracks, um, Baby Driver, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and of course, Atomic Blonde. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we pretty fantastic uh, um, choice of music um, in these past movies. Uh, I saw Atomic Blonde with a couple of friends from work. Um, Shout out to Jay, Dinesh and Adam. Uh, Atomic Blonde was directed by David Leach, who co-directed John Wick, an ex-stuntman who employs like his craft of very elaborate fight scenes all throughout this movie in particular, and I have to say this is some of the best fight scenes I've seen since Old Boy. Um, really spectacular stuff. I, I think the the film is based on a graphic novel, as you said, The Coldest City. So it's, it's yep. not it's not originally called Atomic Blonde. No, but Atomic Blonde is such a stylish, iconic name, and the graffiti, like you said, you know that kind of uh, stylish opening titles really kind of punctuated it. Definitely. Yeah, and I, I want to say that a lot of viewers feel that Atomic Blonde 
is intelligent because they didn't get it. And I just want to clarify that that's not the case at all. Just because you can't follow a movie doesn't mean it's an intelligent film and it fooled you. you got to keep up with it. Usually it's because it has a very poorly constructed story. And I think that's certainly the case here with Atomic Blonde. The, the movie really does believe it's be, being very smart by making it a very complicated cloak and dagger plot but but it's not it, it's just very convoluted i had no idea what who who satchel was and what was really going on you know in the in those last acts of the movie where they're in the hotel room oh my gosh i but mostly i didn't care in in those in the last act of the movie and the movie i think should have just been much more straightforward because you got such strong action scenes a pretty cool lead character well two lead characters as well including uh, McAvoy and I think the plot should have just centered around those guys. Uh, I, I think, um, Perc- you know, the character Percival, played by McAvoy, is like a rogue agent. I don't know. I'm um, falling into a sense of corruption and maybe moral ambiguity, and 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 it should have come down to a climax between the two. Climax between the two. Instead, we get all this crap with the KGB at the very end, like she's actually working for this person and that person. She's actually American. Uh, d- my gosh, Dave, did they lay on some bullshit in the in that last act? Did, did you actually go with it at that point? Oh, no. No, no. Um, unfortunately, you know, her being a triple agent felt too much. Oh, gosh. Uh, at the end of the film, she meets, in Paris, she meets Kurtzfeld and reveals herself to be Satchel. Satchel. But she's, she's an American, so she was planted by the CIA into, like, British, I mean, and also she was playing everyone all at once, and it's too much. It wasn't clever. It felt like the scenes were tacked on at the end, like, oh, what if this, what if this, with no thought as to how complicated that would be. Being a double agent is difficult enough. I mean, you've seen things in like Alias and and all these spy movies where they're a double agent and they're almost getting caught constantly. You know, being a triple agent is ridiculous. I know. And I think this really comes down to the biggest issue and that's David Leach's inexperience. He definitely doesn't have a writer's background at all and doesn't have the craft at telling a complicated story like what Atomic Blonde wanted to be. And you can feel his eagerness to reveal a twist at the end of the film when in fact it's extremely tiresome and a really amateur narrative device. Uh, You know, I didn't like this story but I love the fight scenes. I love the style of the film. And I think Charlize Theron is an awesome action star. Just physically, how much she's willing to throw a body around and how much damage she's willing to display on her body and on her face, I think is remarkable, um, especially for someone as pretty as her who doesn't really have to choose. If she does do these action roles, she doesn't have to butcher her face as much as she does in in the film's present but just look at um fury road and she shaved her head for that role that was her decision that's remarkable Mm -hmm. you know so i'll always respect her and this should have been another great jason bourne like movie series but i think they absolutely blew it 
You mentioned the director. He is a very experienced stuntman. And this, I looked into his um, background as well. I haven't seen John Wick. Uh, but I've in- seen it, yeah. It, it's great for 20 minutes, man. And then I think it's very overrated. Runs out of steam okay. so fast. <laughs> I mean, I hear people on podcasts talk about how much they like John Wick. And I sort of made a mental note to check it out. The director, though, here I felt like each scene was a setup for an action sequence. You know what I mean? That the the plot was there to service the action and not the other way around, which was frustrating. And for me, I got on board the Charlize Theron train pretty late. Uh, I knew her from Devil's Advocate, I suppose, the Keanu Reeves movie, and I'd missed several kind of iconic performances for her. When we actually go back and we, we sometimes we watch movies for our YouTube channel, Trial and Error was one of the films I watched that she was in, and I thought she was stunning in that, and I raved about her. And since then, you know, we've caught her in Mad Max, uh, we've obviously been watching her in Fast and the Furious more recently. Something about her I find really, really watchable, and it is probably the fact that she's like an Amazon tall, uh, you know, gorgeous woman but I've recently sort of worked out that she's a great actress as well because I'd never sort of associated her that way uh, for years and years. Sorry, as a good actress? As an actress, I, I never really thought of her, yeah, as like, I mean, she won the Oscar for Monster, which I'd never seen. People put that down to, I'm sure it was a fantastic film, but I know people put that down to like the fact that she played a real person and she like ugged up in terms of like her uh, visual appearance, you know. And people say the same thing about Nicole Kidman, you know, she uh, played a real person and she had the fake nose and like everybody sort of does that as a formula to win the Best Actress Oscar. So she fell into a pool of people that I sort of went, okay, I've never really associated her with being a great actress. And like lately I have and I've gotten on board. But here in Atomic Blonde, there was something about the sort of minimal movement that she does and the ice-cold stares and the no emotion. She plays sort of a really unlikable character in this film called Young Adult. But even in that film, there was like a background and you were made to realise why she was messed up. Here, I feel like I didn't have enough backstory. You just have to accept that she's a spy and it's kind of like James Bond. You know what I mean? But I found it really difficult to attach to her character here. Maybe just because of how little she tried to show. And I suppose that's down to the fact that she's a triple agent when you think about it. A hundred percent. If it was much more straightforward, let's say she is the perfect agent for MI6 and she's going in there and she's a very good hand-to-hand combat. And McAvoy is what she could have been had she had been stationed in Berlin for a long time, been corrupted and been a double agent. And that should have been it. Like he should have been the flip side of the coin and what happens to people in this uh, in this business and, you know, the, the, the falls that they make sort of thing. And that would have been interesting. Instead, McAvoy almost takes a back seat and the director is more interested or the screenwriter is more interested in, oh, guys, actually, she's been playing all of us. She's a triple agent. Isn't she awesome? Just like, oh, yeah. my gosh. this I don't care. You're, you're introducing these things way too quickly at the end. So you're pulling the rug from under us and what you're revealing isn't that great at all. It's just confusing. Sophia Batella. Um, from The Mummy has a fantastic role here. I think she is as sexy as hell and shares a very memorable scene with Charlie's Theron. <laughs> um, I thought her death was uh, um, amazingly done, very 
brutal and animalistic. If the story was constructed better, that should have been the greatest loss of the movie. And then Lorraine, Charlie Theron's character, goes after Percival. Other than her horrible death, I didn't feel her loss. That big moment, that should have been a big moment for Lorraine. It just felt like Sophia is just another casualty in war. And wouldn't that have simplified the plot? Oh, it, it, McAvoy is really an absolute bad guy. And now she's, you know, now she's got absolute emotion to really destroy McAvoy. But, you know, just, I don't know. You got Satchel running around or something. That's always in the back of your head. I, I did wonder the choice to make her bisexual, whether or not that was for some trailer fodder, you know, like get a sexy lady on lady scene in there. It's not vital to the plot. It's not servicing the story. And like you say, it didn't quite land when uh, her lover is killed. She's not allowed to have any kind of attachments. So she has to go cold on her as well and be like, well, click, flip a switch, you know, like these aren't real relationships. Like she says that it's all fake. I sort of found that James McAvoy played this character well, but I didn't find that his dialogue was particularly memorable. Yeah, he he and was the best find... character in the movie, and, and and that's the biggest unfortunate thing. Like he was he was the most interesting character, and yeah, you're right. He just even if McAvoy can't save the character, there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like he could have had some really witty, flirty dialogue with her and he sneaks into a hotel room and they could have had kind of an iconic scene. They don't have to do anything, but the dialogue wasn't there, which felt really lackluster. And, I mean, some of the some of the dialogue, I've written one thing down. Like, I'll ask you what this means. You know, she says, you know those movies where the film slows down and then catches fire? Well, that's Berlin. And she's addressing the camera when she says that, which doesn't really mean anything. Like, from a projectionist point of view, when a movie, when the film slows down and catches fire, the projector's stopped. Is that Berlin? The projector's stopped? Well, I guess it means this, um, the story really goes nowhere and you don't see the end of it. It just burns in front of you. I, I think that's what they're trying to say. And is that meant to be this movie we just watched? <laughs> yeah, like well... it goes nowhere? <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess the the um, agents that are um, subjected to this world, um, you know, it's just gonna their narrative just pretty much ends, and it, it, there is no good ending here. Everything's just gonna go a lit go on fire. But it's an interesting concept: this idea of the wall coming down and this world that they have known is coming to an end, and it's kind of a race of information and people, and that that's the ultimate commodity. Uh, to, towards the latter stages of the Berlin Wall crumbling. And that's why I really like the setting and it goes so well with this re- almost like these this youth or this new age that's going to blossom out of this and the, the music and the culture and all that coming together and you got this underworld cloak and dagger story. That's why I really like the style of Atomic Blonde. It is so promising and so cool. And I love the Porsche in it, the cars, you know, all that style. I think they really nailed a lot of that stuff down. It's just a pity you don't care for any of it. I mean, I think style over substance, certainly. And like you say, it's a beautiful soundtrack. And I love the Berlin Wall element as well. Uh, my favourite film that incorporates the Berlin Wall is Goodbye Lenin. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. Goodbye Lenin. It's a two-hour film and uh, it's set around the wall and the falling of the wall. But it's got such a beautiful framework. I won't ruin it. But that's my favourite film that 
that's about, uh, it's really about a family more than anything. But um, here, I did want to talk to you about the fight scenes because I know, you know, you will analyze a fight scene much more than I. And I felt a bit like uh, at times she was very unhittable. You know, when she's picked up from the airport, those goons get her in the car. I felt like the driver should have just stopped. He has the pedals. Yeah. And she's in control from the back seat. Just stop and shoot her in the face. Yeah. We'll do it together. I've got a gun in my room. (laughs) Well, the big scene of the movie is the staircase fight scene, a really virtuosic choreographed scene, very difficult to pull off, and you won't see many fight scenes like, like the one that's depicted in Atomic Blonde. The best fight scene I have ever seen in movies for me is Old Boy, the, the 2003 version, of course. And specifically, it's the scene where the hero comes out of the elevator and fights a whole bunch of goons. It's in one long shot where the camera simply tracks the hero fighting and there is no cut. And like he fights like 20 guys in a row or something. The fight is clumsy, um, as all fights are. It's violent. And it's extraordinarily choreographed. And what makes the fight scenes in Old Boy incredible is that you feel, hear, and you see the terror in all the characters. As they, as they fight, they're out of breath. And, and that makes the viewers understand the pain that they are enduring. And it's evident in here in Atomic Blonde. It shows how out of breath a lot of these guys are in in the movie, in particular in the last stages of the staircase scene they can barely stand and it gives you a strong sense of realism and makes the fight scenes very primal and a lot of empathy can be generated if you see the main character hurt and stumble like there's a scene where she uh, it's it's all over the trailers I think it's through a fire hose it might be through some rope where she um uh, ties the rope around the guy's neck and she jumps over a staircase and then crashes through uh, the second level or whatever and she stumbles. She doesn't end on a pose like Iron Man or Spider-Man. She she stumbles and hits the door and she has to recover from that. And just that little detail in the choreography to make her clumsy and to make her not perfect makes you um, engage with her more because she seems much more realistic but I can't help it's just not as clumsy as old boy it's a bit too perfect here how they're punching each other and everything like that they're, they're, it's not boxing it's more martial arts like a kung fu film and you're right she does come across as a bit too invincible at times I know she's covered in bruises for the interrogation, so I know at some point she's going to get hit, you know. Mm. But when that uh, they go to the apartment that's been ransacked and she fights off the police, I mean, I just kept thinking they attacked her one by one and they kept waiting <laughs> they for the got a ticket. punch. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know, at the end she pulls up her collar for no real reason Yeah, yeah she it's beats like, up the yeah, last two. Yeah, could you describe who she is? Oh, she's a blonde chick wearing this, you know, how can you not spot Charlie's Theron <laughs> walking the streets, yeah. you know? Um, I, I, well, I like it how David Leitch as, as well doesn't rely on handheld camera work or choppy editing. Like he really wants yeah. to show the choreography to full effect and tries 
um, to keep the shots long or at uh, a medium close-up. And I personally am a big fan of handheld. I really like it. It just adds a sense of immediacy for me. But I do agree with the criticism that how people hate it because they do certain movies do go over the top with handheld. You got to know how to use it, and movies like uh, The Born Supremacy give it a, a, a bad name. The fight scene in the stairwell. You know how it seemed like it was no. No cuts, one take. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, th- there was actually several cuts in that, wasn't there? Uh, I yeah, read somewhere. There were. Yeah, and they, they stitched it together using editing trickery. Yeah, I mean, this reminded me a little bit of Children of Men because there's that scene. Uh, Children of Men famously has these sort of about twenty minute no cut kind of moments. Uh, three of them in the film. Incredible. And they built this rig in Children of Men so they could shoot inside a car. It's on the DVD special features. And it's the same rig used here when she's driving the package, you know, the guy she's delivering uh, who winds up dying by drowning. Um, So it's not a new one, but I really like that shot. Do you remember the one where the camera feels like it's in the roof and it's moving back and forth around the car? It's incredible. 100%. Reminded me of Children of Man and I really liked it. That guy who died, though, you can 100% tell he was going to die because he had a scene where he said goodbye to his daughter and said, you have to listen to mummy now. And then he didn't say goodbye to the mum. So I felt like he only really showed us this because he's going to die. You know, you kind of give him that moment where he says goodbye to his daughter. I did notice, and it was hard not to, that there was uh, like a light level of nudity to this film, but it wasn't gratuitous. It was often stylish. And I thought he tilted the camera, you know, when he did that bath shot with her where she gets into the ice bath. You know, and those tilts sort of were throughout the film. There was that nice upside-down shot when James McAvoy characters woke up. So I didn't mind some of it. I thought he was going for something interesting with the style. But like you say, uh, I felt like it's the plot. The plot's the problem here. (laughs) And what lets down the film. When she crosses over to the other side of Berlin... Uh, there is that interesting fight scene where she runs into a cinema and Andre Tarkovsky's great science fiction film Stalker plays and she has a fight scene with some Russian goons while the movie is projected in the background. Interesting thing with that choreography there, she uses a key as a weapon and um, punches him in the face and the key actually gets stabbed into the guy's face. Uh, I'd like to say I've seen that before somewhere, but I don't know where. I thought that was really interesting, just that, wow, okay. Okay, you can use keys as a weapon and how would a key be as a weapon? Oh, right. Every punch you make is much more effective now, I guess. Did you notice, you know, that they're all trying to get a list like uh, of names of agents sort of thing? Um, yeah, it's a typical uh, much... trade in um, spy films like uh, Mission Impossible and most, exactly, recent... Mission yeah, Impossible. most recently um, Skyfall. Yeah, and I, I just thought, oh, this is like the knock list. This is Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't a microfilm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, what's Job the deal with the watches? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the deal with the watches that were being used for to hide information or something? Uh, th- that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That, it was just a means of tra- um, uh, information being transported uh, from one to the other. Yeah, pretty much. Um, just another contact, another character, another point of interest, I guess. Maybe it's based on real what they really used to do, like transport inf- information on on the person, like on a watch or whatever, you know. Um, I believe it, yeah. 
as a credible enough sort of thing. The the climactic scene with McAvoy, and it's just simply she guns him down because she outmaneuvered him. McAvoy's always been ten steps, uh, her, Percival, I should say, has been always ten steps ahead of Lorraine throughout the whole movie, and then when she finally picks up, she's been bugged from the get go. Um, she and she closes in on um, Percival and then simply shoots him at the end, and he tries to explain why he's doing the things like he like he did. And I thought that should have been the end of the movie. Okay, that's really interesting. You've given us all these great action scenes, and I like the simplicity of the ending. But then it has the three endings or whatever. We have another shootout in a rush with with some Russian mobsters in a hotel room, and now her hair is dark. And I thought that was so daring. You call the movie Atomic Blonde, and in the trailer, the first thing you see is Charlize Theron with dark hair. <laughs> but at that moment, that shootout with the Russian mobsters, it's amazing how there's absolutely no tension there, and you just don't care it's so amazing how a movie can suck you could have had the greatest choreographed action scene at that point but everyone would forget about it walking out of the movies because no one gave a shit at that point it just goes to show if you can't build up to a great action scene you know then it then it's really nothing if you if you got a great action scene and a great build up to it that's that's what makes it special you know you got to build up to it appropriately and unfortunately um with atomic blonde it just really threw too much at the audience in the third act and i just was so disconnected to be honest i, I was annoyed because at that point i went oh she's a brunette like in the trailer why is this the last scene of the movie and I thought, I know the gun is in the ice bucket because it was in the trailer. Like, and I knew too much. I, the spoilers had been there. You shouldn't have the third act in the trailer or you just should not reveal that much. It reminded me of the Angelina Jolie movie Salt, where she's a spy and you don't know whether or not she's good or bad. I mean, this sort of had a lot of vibes of other movies, but the fact that set it apart, the thing that was good about it was the setting and the soundtrack and the fact that it... You know, while the Berlin Wall is coming down, Percival's killing the brunette uh, Delphine. You know, like the things that were interesting about it were the setting, the time and place of this story. The 99 Luftballoon song, you know, there's like a sad version of it. (laughs) (laughs) And it it Um, used a David Bowie song as well, but it's just so diluted in this film because everyone still remembers it from Inglorious Bastards, which was used so well. So when it comes on, just like, this is now reminding me of Inglorious Bastards. And you actually do have an actor from the movie Inglorious Bastards. I think he's the watchmaker in this. And uh, yeah, so a lot of this, the problem is with using a lot of popular music, if it's been used in movies, it kind of dilutes it because you're reminded of how other movies utilize the songs. Every time I hear a trailer that has some David Bowie singing Under Pressure, uh, you know, it's this very common uh, trailer trope. I have a question. How did they organize the umbrella distraction? I guess they paid up uh, a lot of young people some money. To all be standing around with umbrellas. Yeah, And then the sniper can't... Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't find that I didn't find it too far out of reach at that point, just because of how bad the KGB were treating all the young people. It would be so easy to go, "Oh, hey guys, we need some help smuggling people out of there." And if you witness the beatings of these people day in day out, you'll do whatever you can to try and protect someone. That that's the way I saw it. All right, you went with that. That's cool. Cool. 
<laughs> I think um, it's it's nice to see a chick kind of kick ass, and um, you know, it's got that Wonder Woman thing where you know lately it is in vogue. But this film, I um, I thought the fight scenes were fine. I thought the story was only okay. Uh, I wasn't loving it while I was watching it. I just thought, oh, this is fine. You know, this is a fine bit of entertainment. Um, I can't see them sort of making another one or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate. They they blew it so much because this could have been, as I said, another Jason Bourne-like trilogy, but with Charlize yeah. Theron. She's so cool, you know, as as this, as an action star, but I, I think they completely screwed it up. Um, just the story, it was so uninteresting to me i didn't mind the fact that she like spliced it together to make it seem like percival was satchel um splicing together the audio for show when in fact she is everybody she's satchel and triple agents and whatever that was fun the director i think is uh david leach is scheduled to direct uh, to direct deadpool 2 um yeah uh, interesting yeah, uh, Deadpool 1 was so successful and they've got this director to direct the second one. I have no confidence at all in his understanding of story structure or anything. I just hope the script is 100% before they walk on set because if the script isn't 100%, they're going to come into some big, big problems here. Uh, we'll probably cover Deadpool 2 on the podcast so people can stay tuned and uh, check that out. Uh, look, next time on the show... We're going to delve into one of the worst box office bombs of 2017. And, uh, you know, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, it's a Guy Ritchie film, uh, stars Charlie Hunnam, and uh, that's what we're due for next on Pod Me If You Can. If uh, people are interested, we do obscure films with famous stars in them on our YouTube channel. People can check that out. Every link is at podmeifyoucan.com. And you can find a whole back catalogue of our films, including Mad Max, which stars Charlize Theron. She's in Prometheus as well. We covered that one. And uh, as I said, obscure film reviews. I did one called Trial and Error that Charlize Theron was in as well. So people can find that at our YouTube channel. You can always tweet us or find us on Facebook. All the links, podmeifyoucan.com. And we'll talk to you next week for King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Hit it. listening please like us on facebook and follow us on twitter go to www.podmeifyoucan.com pod me if you can movie reviews 